Bulldog Interviews on BullyNet with your host, Dave Kaufman. He's a nice guy, but only gives belly rubs to dogs. Welcome to the Bulldog Interviews. I'm Dave Kaufman, your host, and today we have one of a number of series that we're going to be doing with Dr. Alan Frank from Hunt Valley Animal Hospital. Hi, Dr. Alan. How are you? Good. Good. Doing well. Glad to have you here. And uh, today we're going to be talking about brachycephalic airway syndrome. And uh, give us a little background on that, and uh, let's just get right into it. Okay, that sounds good. Uh, most of the bulldogs that I see, um, I would say a good uh, 60, sometimes up to 80% of them uh, comprise of bulldogs that have uh, brachycephalic airway syndrome. And what this is, is in short muzzle breeds, and this is all short muzzle breeds, the Pugs, the Boston Terriers, French Bulldogs, and English Bulldogs, is a congenital problem resulting from the skull bones are usually at normal width, but they're shortened in length. And that's what gives us the uh, Bulldog's typical look and what we love as our Bulldogs. Mm-hmm. So this is an inherited, you know, bony change that leads to secondary soft tissue abnormalities uh, that are characterized as brachiospallic airway syndrome. Uh, and a lot of times you'll get secondary changes to this brachiospallic airway syndrome, which include eversion of the laryngeal saccules, laryngeal collapse, and enlargement of the tonsils. And other things that I see when I'm evaluating a bulldog for brachiospallic airway syndrome is, which I'll get into in a little bit, I'll get be a little bit more specific, but we do see, which is part of this whole syndrome, is mm-hmm. a hypoplastic trachea uh, usually seen concurrently uh, with this problem, uh, kind of independent of the brachiospallic airway syndrome, but is part of it. Okay. Uh, the anatomic components of brachiospallic airway syndrome are usually four. Four things. The stenotic nares, which is that pinched off nose. And a lot of times when we're correcting the elongated soft palate, I will do corrective surgery on the nares, which is the nostrils. And sometimes we see that in our bulldogs where it's kind of pinched off. And if you listen or put a mirror to their nose and look for the, um, you know, the uh, condensation on the mirror, it'll be very limited in stenotic nares or a pinched off nose. So that's one way to tell. Just hold a a mirror to your pet's nose and you'll be able to tell. The other, obviously, is the elongated soft palate. I do a lot of surgeries almost on a weekly basis to correct the elongated soft palate. Mm -hmm. You're going to hear an inspiratory strider. And, again, I'll probably get into this a little bit. Um, But what that is is when the dog breathes in, you'll hear that flapping, the hard palate, which is the kind of, if you think about the roof of our mouth, you put our thumb up there, it's nice and hard to go further back, it gets soft. Mm-hmm. So obviously the elongated soft palate is a very long and starts going into the epiglottis or into the trachea. Uh, the other things that are part of this whole syndrome is the averted laryngeal saccules, which are these white little glistening uh, saccules, uh, like little bumps in the larynx that also obstruct the breathing. So that's also very important in this whole syndrome. And then there's laryngeal collapse, which a lot of people don't talk about, but we do see. And laryngeal collapse is the larynx, actually, the muscles become weakened from the 
uh, bulldog trying to breathe so hard that these muscles become weakened and they kind of collapse inward. Okay. So um, to talk a little bit, I'll try to talk a little bit and, and keep it pretty simple is the pathophysiology, meaning the disease and how this whole syndrome starts. Mm-hmm. And in the bulldog, uh, the brachycephalic um, airway syndrome, there's stenosis of the nares and the distortion of the pharyngeal region, uh, which leads to an increase in negative pressure. And that's when you know these dogs are always sucking in, and that creates that negative pressure pressure during inspiration. So uh, this results in kind of stretching that soft palate, kind of pulls it further down into the trachea, uh, which is already elongated, but that constant negative pressure is pulling that um, tissue constantly into the airway. So you get swelling of the airway, you get the aversion and those laryngeal saccules popping out, you get some edema, which is swelling and inflammation of that whole, you know, sometimes the tonsils become swollen, all the soft tissue in the mouth, the back of the mouth, you know, becomes swollen. And ultimately, you get, um, like I said before, you get that inward collapse of the weakened laryngeal cartilage. So it becomes a, you know, really a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we can hear our dogs really having, you know, problems breathing. Um, that being said, you know, Typically, I'll see, uh, as far as age predisposition for brachycephalic airway disease, uh, you get the stenotic nares, and usually you'll see that as the congenital malformation. Um, almost, you know, when the puppy's born, you can kind of tell that these nostrils are pinched off. Okay. So uh, the onset that we typically see in the bulldog is you know, between two and five years of age, though, when, when it comes to the elongated soft palate. So that's why I kind of encourage uh, my new uh, bulldog uh, clients to get that insurance because if that does develop, you know, usually on that first exam, if I, you know, and, and most breeders won't let their bulldogs go until they're at least 12 weeks old, which I think is very good. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, you know, when a client comes in and I'm examining a bulldog, I try to find as many good things about them as I can. So that way there's no uh, limiting factors of that insurance policy when they get it. And I do encourage my clients to, to do that. Okay. So I think that's important. Um, and, and one of the insurance companies, not to plug them because I don't make any money off of it, is Trupanion because they actually cover 90% and they, I believe, I'm pretty sure in comparison to all the other insurance companies take care of more congenital issues than any of the other um, companies out there. And if anybody from any of the other companies um, can um, argue that, um, I would love to hear from them. Okay. So that's the one I recommend. Okay. Um, I guess uh, English Bulldogs tend to show clinical signs much earlier than most other breeds. I think the earliest uh, on English Bulldog that I've done corrective surgery for the elongated palate was uh, four months, and they did very well. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but I have seen that as early as three months, I try to get them to, you know, grow and um, just develop a little bit more with their organs so that, uh, you know, surgery is not too much of an issue with them. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're evaluating... Or, or making a diagnosis of brachycephalic airway um, syndrome, um, I always recommend getting thoracic or chest x-rays to evaluate the pulmonary structure and the trachea size and structure. Uh, this is very important. We 
uh, at our hospital, we never uh, sedate the dog for this. Very, we try to do it really stress-free, and we're measuring the trachea because we worry about um, hypoplastic tracheas in bulldogs. And that also shows me what size endotrache tube to use when we're, if we're going to do the surgery on, on this pet. Okay. So I, I believe the x-rays are really important. A lot of times we will see issues with the lungs and most bulldogs it's pretty common to see you know um you know infiltrate throughout the lung tissue because of the uh negative uh pressures on the lungs and sometimes um aspiration pneumonia is you know sometimes happens and we do see some changes in the lung parenchyma is with you know the lung tissue so it's important that I feel um and I usually don't waver on my way that I do my procedures. So I think that's real important to get those x-rays. Uh, we do blood testing mm-hmm. and we do a complete blood count, which is the red blood cell, white blood cells, and then we do a, a serum chemistry. And I think they basically do a, a real basic panel because uh, they're usually young dogs and most of the time these are um, the values and the results come back as normal. So that's always good. And we usually do EKG and blood pressure should also be normal before we do anything. And then we'll do a, uh, I, I usually, you know, if I'm not positive on my exam that, you know, we're dealing with a brachycephalic airway syndrome, under light sedation, I will examine and evaluate the soft palate, tonsils, uh, laryngeal function, and I, you know, I do this under light anesthesia like that. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, after this exam, I always plan for surgical correction if warranted. So if it's needed, I'll go right into my surgery and, um, you know, I usually will uh, convey that to the owner. They're usually, um, my clients are usually waiting so I can uh, kind of convey that to them immediately as to what we're going to do, what, what my findings were and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, um, sometimes also with the, going back to the x-rays, that elongated soft palate, I could usually see that, that soft tissue going in, extending into the epiglottis or into the uh, trachea, into the trachea. Um, also, you know, I'll see if it's hypoplastic trachea, and then I'll see if, you know, like I said before, any kind of secondary issues with the uh, pulmonary tree. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll do a pulse ox, uh, which is, t- yeah, testing and checking for how much oxygen the pet is getting in also, which I think is important. So I think I would go to the, at this point, clinical signs of brachycephalic airway syndrome. Okay. Uh, what we see is, and uh, a list of uh, symptoms that I hear from my clients and that I actually witness myself, is inspiratory strider, which is that, you know, when they breathe in, you can hear that snoring or snorting type of uh, sound, and it's pretty loud. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, if uh, you went on my website we and you go to the Brachycephalic Airway Syndrome, we have a uh, video of adult uh, snoring, so it gives you that sound, and so mm-hmm. you know exactly what to listen for. Uh, the sterner is what they, is the snoring that we hear when our dogs are relaxed and sleeping on their side or sometimes they sleep on their back. Um, you'll hear that snoring, and that's part of this whole complex, too. And mm-hmm. a lot of dogs during the day, um, I find that their breathing seems to be normal, but when they're relaxed, that soft tissue sometimes does get sucked into the back of the throat, and that's when you hear that snoring sound. 
Um, gagging is also, you know, pretty common. They'll try to clear their throat, so you hear the gagging. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you get a productive cough, uh, difficulty swallowing, difficulty sleep- sleeping. Um, I have sleep apnea. Uh, some of these pets, uh, our bulldogs will be tossing and turning, get up, stand, turn, uh, and try to settle down. Uh, dyspnea, which is uh, difficulty in breathing. Tachypnea is very rapid respirations. Uh, one of the other things we look for is the color of the mucous membranes and the color of the tongue. And if it's uh, pink, is great. But sometimes we see it become what they call cyanotic, which is like purple, mm-hmm. which we know we're, that our pet's not getting in enough oxygen. So that's a problem. And then with all this also, uh, with all these symptoms, sometimes they become hyperthermic. Mm-hmm. Again, they're... they're body temperature, core temperature rises pretty quickly. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously, um, you know, pets after, you know, these symptoms will worsen after exercise, excitement, stress. Um, you know, us, us who take our dogs to, you know, uh, dog shows, some of them get stressed. Mm-hmm. Some of them are pretty laid back. I've seen both. Um, and the environment. Um, temperature, humidity are also a very important uh, part of this whole, you know, affect the clinical signs, I should say. Um, moving on to other symptoms that occur, mm-hmm. um, it seems like gastrointestinal disease is also uh, prevalent with brachycephalic airway syndrome. It seems to me that a high prevalence of GI lesions have, have been noted in dogs uh, presenting with the brachycephalic airway syndrome. Um, the things that I have seen are gastrointestinal abnormal abnormalities, uh, which include esophageal uh, deviation, hiatal hernias, and which is really, really hard to diagnose. Um, it has to be diagnosed more than just um, usually a CAT scan may diagnose it. Uh, x-rays, very difficult for it to diagnose. Um, so those are things that sometimes we have to worry about. Um, reflux disease uh, is common where our dogs regurge rather than vomit. You know, the regurge kind of just kind of pours out of their mouth versus vomiting, which is more of a forceful uh, type of episode. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Gastritis is also, you know, we see. And, you know, uh, I think a lot of the bulldogs that I see with brachycephalic airway syndrome uh, certainly... Um, you see these GI issues, and once the palate is and they have better airflow and everything, a lot of times you'll see a lot of these symptoms uh, go away, Okay, uh, which is important. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the other things that I think are very important in part of the whole syndrome is, you know, when our bulldogs get stressed from even coming into the veterinary hospital is something called non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema, um, and this is, uh, this causes, you know, respiratory distress also and is, is a common uh, it's common complication of systemic inflammation of the um, kind of neurologic stimulation. Like I said, when they get stressed and the anxiety and everything, uh, they really get stressed, and that's when you'll see this non-cardio, what they call non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. Um, you know, if it gets severe, it can cause acute, life-threatening kind of pulmonary compromise known as acute, you know, respiratory distress syndrome, which you know can be pretty bad. I don't see too much of it, but it's something, you know, we're certainly aware of. Um, and, and, you know, if it starts with that, you know, treatment is usually supportive. That We make sure that they have a, a patent airway, oxygen, 
Um, sometimes we'll use sedation, diuretics, and sometimes we'll even use steroids and bronchodilators if needed. Um, and then um, some of the other things that we deal with, you know, if we're going to treat um, brachycephalic airway syndrome, uh, we definitely recommend weight management. A lot of the uh, dogs that we see are definitely overweight, and that certainly adds stress to the respiratory tract. Mm-hmm. But that's important. And, um, you know, if, if that's the case, we'll go over a whole weight management program with our clients, um, you know, after the uh, surgery. Um, I think all of us know to avoid activity in warm and humid weather. And like our last podcast, we talked about um, heat issues with our bulldogs. Um, so I think we're all pretty much aware of uh, the heat issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and when it is, I guess walks should be kept short and taking a cool. You know, hopefully the coolest time of the day, meaning early in the morning or later in the evening. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I always recommend to my client is using a harness to take the pressure, especially after the surgery in particular. Um, I recommend them to use a harness to take that pressure off the upper respiratory system, you know, which is using your collar and, the, and our bulldogs that they're pulling, you know, they're going to put stress on their, on their throat. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one of the things we don't want to happen. And again, I guess um, my technicians and my team at my animal hospital and in a veterinary hospital setting um, really are very cognizant of handling our um, brachycephalic breeds uh, in a manner that really minimizes their stress and keeps them cool and calm. I think it's really, really important. So, you know, I'm very fortunate. We have a great team of employees, um, technicians, and receptionists who can answer a lot of questions for our clients and um and I think that helps tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, moving into uh, now, I guess, the surgical management of brachycephalic airway syndrome, um, I believe early intervention and correction of um, uh, brachycephalic airway syndrome is really important. But the earlier we start, you know, correct the situation, the better the dog is, is going to be. There's going to be less pathology of that airway and disease that, you know, will occur, you know, because I have had clients that have brought me after they're, you know, eight years old, even nine, ten years old Mm -hmm. to correct it, and they have so many other issues because of that and makes it a little bit more difficult to um, deal with some of those issues, uh, some of the things that I mentioned before. Um, When I'm doing surgery on um, bulldogs, uh, I do a lot of stuff preoperatively. Uh, as soon as they come in the door, um, they are my first surgical candidates in the morning. Um, I get to work on them first. I think it's extremely important to minimize their stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will sometimes give them a anti-emetic, uh, something called Serenia is a name brand. Uh, and that will prevent them from any kind of vomiting because I'm going to be giving a lot of different medications that, you know, may cause, you know, some of the, pain meds and things like that, and, you know, morphine-type drugs may cause, you know, vomiting, so we're going to give initially this anti-emetic, and sometimes I'm going to automatically, depending on the stress level of the dog, is give them some type of sedative, um, you know, so we can get the intravenous catheter in place uh, without them stressing, and uh, once the catheter is put in place, and usually the front leg uh, in the cephalic vein, 
Um, I'll give a lot of different injections, and I'll kind of go over those and tell you why I use each one of those. One of them is dexamethasone injection, which is a steroid, and that's to you know treat post-operative uh, swelling. Mm-hmm. I use uh, Lasix for non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. I use an um, antibiotic. It's a uh, cephalosporin. Um, I think most of our listeners would probably... Uh, cephalosporin is, I think we're familiar with Keflex. Uh, this product that I use, this antibiotic, is something called Convenio. It is a cephalosporin, but it's a injection that I give subcutaneously, and it's long-acting, which is really nice. because That way you don't have to give any pills at home mm-hmm. uh, after the surgery. It's great for soft tissue. So I like using the Convenient maintain serum levels for 14 days, so, which is great. And... Um, and then for pain, um, I'll, you know, sometimes give them something called buprenorphine, which is a morphine-type derivative for pain management. And, you know, once all this is, you know, given, mm-hmm. so that, you know, I usually label everything, everything's given, and then um, we're ready for the surgery, and then we go into our anesthesia. And what we do is I use propofol. Uh, I guess people refer to it as a Michael Jackson drug, which I'm not sure if that's a good way to uh, uh, label this drug. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it, it's actually very safe. Um, we use it, you know, it's used in human hospitals practically for every anesthetic procedure. Um, very, very safe if done properly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we use it, you know, routinely. And then when it comes to, you know, once that's done, to in, you know, once we get them, anesthetized with the propofol, then we could um, put the endotrach tube into them. And we normally, you know, as big as a bulldog is, they usually require, because of the trachea size, usually a pretty small endotrach uh, tube. Okay. Uh, so I think that's really important is picking the right size so you're not, you know, uh, veterinarians hopefully aren't jamming that in there trying to get it in. If you use the right size, it will slide in right away. And now, a word from our sponsors. If your dog sitter isn't using Corettable, what are they doing to your dog? You don't know, and that's a big problem. Dog sitters using Corettable relieve the stress, guilt, and anxiety that a dog owner experiences when they're away from their dog. If you love your dog, insist that your pet sitter use Corettable. Check out Corettable today at Corettable.com. That's C-A-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. Corettable also works great for people who use caregivers for loved ones, like children and the elderly. So check out Corettable today at Corettable.com. That's C-A-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com. Now, back to the Bulldog interviews. And then at the end of the endotrachea that goes into the trachea, it uh, has a cuff. And we blow that up with air to prevent anything, you know, let's say if after the surgery, any vomiting, things like that, uh, will not allow any of that vomitus or any fluids to go into the um trachea in the lungs so that's why we the proper size is really really important and then once we have that endotrach tube in place um, we're going to use a gas anesthetic uh, either isofluorine or sevofluorine it just depends on the dog and, and what I feel is going to be best to manage that pet mm-hmm. um, and then once they're on the machine we actually uh, put them on a ventilator so this is going to you know breathe for the dog um, and, you know, because of the deep chest and barrel chest on a bulldog, 
Um, I use the ventilator on all my brachiospalic breeds, not only bulldogs, but all of them. And then we hook them up to vital sign monitors. So we're, we got all the bells and whistles on them so we can monitor everything that's going on throughout that surgery mm-hmm. and just make sure everything, you know, the heart rate, the SpO2, the oxygen levels are normal. We can see respiration, um, CO2 levels, and, you know, uh, EKG okay. on our vital sign monitors. So we're watching that. It, and anything changes when it goes too low or too high, Alarm sound, so we know you know how to manage and um, adjust our anesthetic as need be. Um, now with the surgery, I'm not only going to describe what I do, but I think it's important to note the other types of surgeries that are out there also um, mm-hmm. in comparison. Um, personally, I use something called a bipolar sealing device. Uh, name brand is, is Ligature by. Um, um, it's uh, well, the, ch- the companies have changed, but uh, the, the main unit is called a force triad, it's a ligature unit okay. by Gidian. Uh The other things that are used for surgery are carbon dioxide laser and then also cold steel, surgical blade, or surgical scissors are used. And then there's another technique that I have seen that I've actually had to correct uh, from other veterinarians called a folded flap palliative where they make a flap in the elongated soft palate and kind of fold it back toward the mouth and um, suture that down. Um, I had a correct one, so obviously I didn't think it worked too well. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, so the advantages of the technique that I use, uh, the bipolar uh, sealing device, the ligature, um, I feel that the surgical time is much shorter, and this has been uh, written up in um, the American Veterinary Medical Association Journal by Dr. Clarence Rawlings, who actually taught me the technique of using the ligature. He compared the laser, the ligature, and cold steel, or the scissor technique, Mm -hmm. and obviously I'll go over exactly what those times are on each of those, but uh, to continue with the advantages of uh, the ligature unit, like I said, shorter surgical time, um, less, because of that, less, a shorter surgical time, there's less anesthesia that's needed. Mm-hmm. Um, he found also in this, uh, journal article that there was less swelling in the surrounding tissue. Um, probably comparable to the laser though, to be, you know, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in the article that I read, it, they were pretty comparable as far as a laser, as far as less swelling in the surrounding tissue. Uh, the, the ligature had less pain and discomfort, and usually I send my uh, patients home just a few hours post-surgery, which I think is, is great. Um, it's less expensive than treating an emergency situation, obviously, mm-hmm. and um, once this is done, it prevents life-threatening respiratory distress, and um, in the long run, I feel that uh, the bulldogs that are in my practice and I've seen, I've been doing this for 16 years. I see a lot of these uh, bulldogs for their whole life and the pet typically enjoys a healthy and better, better, um, you know, quality of life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's um, important. Um, let's see. Um, oh, as far as I mentioned before, the surgical times, Mm-hmm. Using sharp dissection, you know, whether it's a surgical blade or scissors, 
usually takes about um, anywhere from 12 to 15 minutes, depending on also the, the competency of the surgeon. Mm-hmm. Um, the carbon dioxide laser, usually uh, 5.15 minutes. And I'm going by um, uh, Dr. Rowling's article in the uh, veterinary journal. Okay. And uh, the ligature unit, I can usually do that surgery in probably a minute and a half. Wow. Sometimes less, sometimes more, but usually about a minute and a half. Most of it is getting the, the bulldog prepared before the surgery, uh, getting them in the right position, and then after the surgery, spending time with them, and, you know, with recovery. Right. Um, is is what's key. Mm-hmm. So, uh, obviously, post-surgical care, recovery, uh, the extubation, when we're finished the surgery, we disconnect them from the anesthetic unit and it's constant observation. I have a tech that sits with the dog and watches the breathing and uh, once they start coming around, we remove that endotrach tube and um, and once that's removed and the dog seems to be pretty good, once he can is able to get up on his feet and pretty steady, uh, we have our clients actually recover and sit with their bulldogs because I think that takes a huge amount of stress off them when they see the owners. So that is one of the things I'd say 98% of my clients will do that with their dogs. And I feel that over 16 years I've done that and it's worked out really, really well. Um, I guess some of the um, instructions that we give the clients for home care is the medications that go home. Like I said earlier, I gave, gave the... Um, antibiotic injections. We don't have to send that home. That's good for 14 days. Mm-hmm. And the medications that I do send home are prednisone to keep the swelling down in the back and throat. It's still surgery and you're going to get, you know, mild swelling there. So we want to um, do that, especially, and sometimes we'll get like a little cough, uh, just like a child going through uh, a tonsillectomy, having their tonsils taken out, yeah. almost the same type of thing. You'll get like a little cough. But the tissue uh, usually heals within 14 days, um, and usually if there are any mild symptoms, those are usually resolved, you know, usually within the first few days mm-hmm. to a week, and occasionally we'll get a dog that, you know, takes a little bit longer, and, you know, usually by 14 days they're totally healed up. And we recommend for a couple days just to use some, uh, you know, soft food, probably just for two days, you know, canned or moistened type of kibble. And that's usually all that they need. And um, I think that really covers most everything. I mean, I, I feel that over 16 years, uh, the procedures worked really well for me. You know, really uh, no true side effects, um, you know, that are out there. And um, they do real well for recovery. And it seems like they have a nice extended long life, which is, I think, our goal mm-hmm. with our Bulldogs. We we want to keep them as long as possible. It's never long enough uh, with any breed, but uh, you know, these are, you know, they're special to us. So we want to obviously uh, keep them around a long time. I mean, when I first got into Bulldogs, I, I believe I was told that their average lifespan was eight, but I would say my practice, uh, I may have mentioned it previously that uh, I have one that's going to be, that comes into my practice. It's almost 16 years old. Wow. That's just really nice. And yeah. my son's bulldog lived at 13 and a half. And, um, you know, I see a lot of bulldogs way past, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. So it's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they're part of the family, so it, it, it's really good. So, so with um, with this uh, ligature surgery, how many of those do you think you've done in, in your life so far? Um, well, in the beginning, I guess, you know, um, now it seems like it's almost weekly. Okay. Um, so I know it's been several hundred mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've done um, over the 16 years that I've been doing it that Dr. Rawlings first taught me this about 16 years ago. I'm, uh, yeah, I would say it's about 16 years, mm-hmm. and they were more sporadic then. But uh, I guess I wasn't known uh, that well for bulldogs, and um, as you know, I was doing the surgeries. I guess word gets out there, um, the success of it, and you know, and now 16 years later, I'd say like I think next week I have you know two in the week, so it's almost almost on a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, that I'm doing the palate surgeries, and certainly I get a lot of consultations from clients that you know I, I really spend a lot of time. So um, us as bulldog owners are very concerned, and they have a lot of questions, and I think they have to feel very comfortable with who they go to um, to perform that surgery. So I get a lot of clients that you know have probably gone to specialists and um, general practitioners like myself, and I think that's really important to do that to get second opinions and a lot of um, you know veterinarians out there know that there's an issue there and they're I think um, smart to refer them to other veterinarians and I do get referrals from other veterinarians for the procedure which is nice mm-hmm. um, and I usually you know let them know how things went and call them and keep them posted and a lot of times I have clients that come from pretty far away I've had from Canada um, I have a lot of clients in Virginia, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and, um, you know, I have clients, uh, I usually give them my cell number so they can call me if they feel that there's any issues, um, but a lot of times I'll correspond with their vets so they don't have to come back down as long as their vet does a follow-up and check to see how the dog's doing and so forth, mm-hmm. um, but um, I don't have a, I could probably come up with a specific number for you over the years, but I know it's been, you know, several hundred for sure. Right. Um, and like I said, each year I'm doing more and more. And um, I guess the past couple of years I've probably done at least, let's say, 100, 150 to 200 probably in the past two years over the 16 years. Like I said, started off kind of infrequently, maybe one or two a month. And then it just seems like it's getting more more frequent now. Yeah, I, I know you present this um, this information at a lot of dog shows, speci- you know, specifically bulldog shows. I've known you you've done a couple of those before too. So I think that helps educate the the breeders and stuff like that, so they know where to go. Um, you know, I know when I sell a puppy, I tell the people, you know, talk to your vet, have your vet do whatever, but. When when you need something specific a bulldog, just run it by me because I might not I might know something extra and put you in the right place because um, you know a lot of a lot of vets don't want to touch bulldogs. Um, yeah, and and fortunately I agree with that um, that they will refer them out, which is really good. Um, you know, to someone who really knows the breed, and um, you know that's what's so great about your site is that you have veterinarians that you know like to deal with bulldogs and, um, you know, welcome the breed, which I think is extremely important. If, you know, if they don't like the breed or don't think they should exist, I don't think you should take your bulldog to them, obviously. Right. And I've heard that from other, you know, clients that come in and go, oh, my, you know, um, I had them go into another 
uh, veterinarian, they said, you know, we really don't think this breed should exist. And um, there's too many pros of the bulldog and cons, a lot more pros. And um, it's, it's a great breed. And I can tell you that the people that have them take exceptional care mm-hmm. of, of bulldogs, probably more so than any other breed that's out there. I mean, they are really cognizant of every issue. Um, you don't see anybody else in any of the other breeds wiping their dog's butt or <laughs> facial folds. I mean, on a daily, you know, several times a day basis. I yeah. mean, you know, we are committed to this breed to make sure that they're kept comfortable and live a great life. Mm-hmm. And I see it every day that, you know, I, I love my bulldog clients. I love to talk with them and, and chat um, about their antics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fun. I mean, that's it's a bright spot. In my my day, in some days I'll see four to six bulldogs, and I love it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know we deal with some hard times sometimes, but that you know that's with any breed. Mm-hmm. You know? But something about the bulldogs, I try to put everything I have into it, and uh, and, I, and I think it pays off. Yeah, yeah. So when people think, um, like if they, if their bulldog just snores when he's sleeping, um, and doesn't seem to have any other issues, like he's not like blue in the face or anything or his, his color's not changing not really something to worry about sort of endearing when the bulldogs are, are snoring but when you get into some of these other issues where you hear them constantly snoring when they're when they're wide awake type of thing with that noise that's something to, to possibly start looking into just to help them with with their quality of life yes and i and i think that's something you know i could tell some of the bulldogs when they're in my waiting room um I can hear them in the back, mm-hmm. um, and I know that those are a problem. Yeah. But I get a lot of uh, bulldogs that you know I'm examining, and their breathing is airflow. I could tell is really it, it's excellent mm-hmm. um, in and out from the trachea inspiration expiration, and um, you know I could. But they tell me at night they're snoring. Uh-huh. I said, well, I don't feel that you know right now is an issue as far as elongating soft out. If we ever have to do a dental or some kind of sedation, you know, obviously I'll take a look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can usually tell whether you know it's warranted to uh, proceed to really examine the laryngeal pharyngeal area and make a uh, determination at that point. But a lot of dogs that have come in to me for uh, second opinions on uh, palate surgery turned out. It was either something else or it wasn't a elongated soft palate. So um, it just depends. But a good percentage of do have it. And when, it's, when it is done, it really does help with uh, their breathing. It prevents them from, you know, getting a heat stroke, especially in, you know, we're going into the summer months and they do suffer. But, again, you know, I think um, the, the people that have bulldogs, we take such good care of them that they're very aware of issues such as the weather, that they have to keep them in, mm-hmm. you know, air-conditioned environment, cool environments. You know, I when a mine gets even a little bit stressed, I will put a fan on them, and uh, it calms them down right away, and I think that makes a difference. And I, I've done, you know, the palate surgery on my own dog. Mm-hmm. And my son's dog, when his, his dog lived at 13 and a half, his dog was done at an early age and uh, lived at 13 and a half. So mm-hmm. um does help. Okay. And it's one of those things that's really nice. It's very gratifying to perform these surgeries and you get an immediate, typically you get an immediate response with, um, and I've videotaped uh, a lot of these pets, mm-hmm. um, you know, before and after the surgery. And it, it 
truly is amazing, uh, the difference, uh, which is nice and it's very gratifying to see that kind of instant result. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought there was something else I wanted to ask you, but I, I slipped my mind now. Um, alrighty. Well, uh, I think that just about covers that very well. We'll go into the, um, to other areas, of course, next, next time. And, uh, we'll talk off, offline and, uh, figure out what we'll talk about next week. But, uh, I, uh, appreciate your time on here and yeah. look forward to And just as a, um, just as a, actually yesterday I got one of my journals, mm-hmm. um, and, and I'm seeing this more and more, which I, makes me really happy that, um, in the journal there was a, a article about anesthesia, anesthesia for brachycephalic breeds. And a lot of the things that I've been doing for 16 years were written up pretty much by a, um, I believe he was a boarded internist or maybe even an anesthesiologist, veterinary anesthesiologist or a surgeon, I'm not sure which. Um, I believe his practice is in Pennsylvania. Um, but he had an article on anesthesia and brachycephalic breeds. And, uh, it was just, I, it just came out yesterday. I just read it yesterday. Had pretty much everything that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. um, was what he recommended um, in his article, and it was, it was just—it's just nice to see that other veterinarians are becoming aware that, um, like I said, I think at the last podcast, bulldogs are not German shepherds, they're not Chihuahuas, you know, they're very unique breed, and um, you know they have their own issues that we need to be aware of, and I think veterinarians are becoming more aware of that also. So it's nice to see these articles that are coming out for our breed mm-hmm. to make uh, veterinarians more aware and that, um, uh, you know, that they're going to be able to treat uh, our bulldogs uh, better. Right. So I think that's important. So I was pretty pleased to see that. Yeah, that, that is good news. Very good. So, okay. Um, okay, so we'll uh, be in touch. And um, if any of your um, listeners or people that get on your website have any questions, they can certainly get Give me a call and be happy to, you know, call them back. It's right. not a problem. Yep, yep. We'll get you all linked up in the show notes and everything there, so they they'll have a direct link to you. Um, and and this is this one here is super critical. So, I appreciate your okay. time, Alan. No problem. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to the Bulldog Interviews on BullyNet with your host, Dave Kaufman. Check out the show notes from this podcast at BullyNet.com. Please leave a five-star review and your honest feedback on iTunes.